Well, it's great. To, uh, it's great to be back at City Harvest Church. I, uh, someone graded me today and asked me if it was my first time. But uh, no, teasing. But uh, it's it's great. It's great to be here. I, I've actually been looking forward for this opportunity to join in on the conversation um, of this series called The Table. Isn't this a nice display we have here? And kind of capturing this thing. If you're fasting today, we ask your forgiveness for for provoking you with this beautiful spread here. The heart of this, the heart of this series is, uh, is that we are called to taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, we're not just to know about God's goodness, we're to encounter God's goodness. Can I hear an amen on that? We're not just to talk about God's wisdom, we're to walk in God's wisdom, which brings life to us and, uh, and experience his, we're not just to talk about the presence of God, we're to encounter the presence of God. So as people who have tasted it, who have experienced God's presence and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love, we really need to invite our neighbors to experience that with us. And, uh, and one of the key ways that, that we're being challenged to do that is through what we call hospitality. In other words, we're going to open up our life, we're going to open up our home, we're going to open up our wallet, we're going to open up, you know, our little private cocoon, little habits. And Sue and I, at times, we like to do the cocooning thing at home. We, we, we don't want to have visitors and we just want to be, you know, ourselves. And uh, last night we sat on the front porch and watched the sun go down with a cup of coffee. We, we never do that. I didn't want any visitors last night. But, uh, but, you know, there are those things where we are to open our hearts, our lives, our resources, our table, our home to everybody else so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good through us. Now, this series has really been inspired in a large part by Rosario Butterfield's book entitled The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I would recommend you reading this book. Rosario Butterfield was uh, a professor at the University of Syracuse in the 1990s. She was there all the way up to 2002. She was um, the head of women's studies. She was, um, she was the one who actually uh, wrote all policies dealing with the LBGTQ uh, couples on campus because she was lesbian herself in that lifestyle. She was also in charge of all the teaching that went on dealing with critical theory. And so she was a staunch liberal in the sense of her ideologies, and, uh, and, she, and she was also living in a gay lifestyle and uh, bought into that in her 20s and uh, lived that for 20-some years, I believe. Now, she was doing a study on the religious right. And as she studied the religious right and studying their hatred for people like her and others in her mind, she wrote a, an article in, the, in whatever the, the paper was in that community against promise keepers. Some of you may remember promise keepers. And she wrote a whole article against them. And she was contacted by a pastor who, who basically said, you know, I read your article and, uh, and what was interesting, she, she got this letter from him, knew it was from a pastor. She threw it in the trash can. She actually picked it back out of the trash can and said, I read your article. Would you be willing to just to sit down and, and, and have a conversation? And so she said yes. And so the way in which this pastor had a conversation with her is, can you come to our house and have dinner with my wife and I? 
And so she came to have dinner with he and his wife, and they didn't hide their Christianity. They, we always start off with a scripture. We pray, we give thanks. And so they did that. That started a, a weekly ritual for three years, bringing her to the house and introducing her to the concepts of the Bible. And she just read the Bible just to read the Bible. I need to kind of see how these people think. And through the three-year process and through the kindness and the love of this couple towards her, she gave her life to Jesus. Jesus did a powerful work in her life. Today, she is a pastor's wife in North Carolina. And so she wrote this book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key because of how she came to Jesus. And uh, when she did change her lifestyle, she went through all sorts of issues of, of tension and persecution and, and loss and, and all sorts of things that took place. And who did she have? She had to have somebody who was going to be loving her into the kingdom of God. And so in her lifestyle, as a, as a mother and as a wife, they do a lot of foster care. They adopt kids. And the other thing that they do, they open their home every night to anybody who wants to come eat with them. And so they, she, they have a double budget for food. So the whole neighborhood knows if you want to get some good soup and salad and great bread, you come to Rosario's house and the whole neighbor comes and basically eats with them every night. And that is her outreach to her neighborhood and her community. She actually learned it from the gay community. I know that may kind of like gas some of you that, that that would come out of that, but it's a very, a very open, gracious community and in including people in and being inclusive. And so she just transfers that in with the gospel now and brings people in. And this book, really, in many ways, I know it stirred Pete, I'm sure it touched Tamar, you know, and doing a series dealing with, with uh, the table of the Lord. Kind of starting off pretty controversial, Pastor. Well, I've been, I'm rusty. I haven't been in the pulpit for a while. <laughs> you know, many of us, and I'll even get a little bit more spicy here, we're, we're, many of us, pro probably here today, not all of us, we're, we're celebrating the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And uh, it has been a 50-year journey. But I do want to just share with you that that judgment on that ruling did not stop abortion or end abortion in the United States of America. Our, our greatest work is ahead of us. And it's not going to come through the media. It's not going to come through some intellectual hero that's going to somehow uh, represent that particular position. It is my opinion that's going to come through you and me in one-on-one -on -one conversations. And to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation, we're going to have to love people. Well, the thing that is absolutely evident right now in our culture, and it's absolutely evident, that there is a huge gap between the church and the very culture we're called to reach. A huge gap. It's not only just a huge gap in our worldview. We have two different worldviews. It's not only a huge gap between our moralities. We operate on a whole different set of moralities. But we're also, it's a huge gap in trust. And we're going to have to find a way to build a bridge to begin to heal that gap, to have conversation. And I believe that healing of that gap is called the table. The table. Our culture will not buy into a biblical worldview until they are born again. I don't think we have quite equated that whole thing. 
that they got to be saved. I had a, how many people who got saved in their 20s like me, you had to change your worldview? Only a few of us, okay? That means we don't have a whole lot of people who got saved in their 20s. How many people got saved in your teens years here or, or younger? How many people here are not saved? Okay. <laughs> no, a, lot, a lot of people ain't voting. You're not voting. Thank you. I got you guys back there. Thank you, Isaac. But you have, they have to change. You can't do that unless you're born again. Unless the Spirit of God changes your heart. You won't get born again until you believe and receive the gospel in your own life. And you won't believe and you won't receive the gospel in your life until you encounter the table of tasting God's mercy, God's goodness, God's wisdom, God's grace, and his presence in your life. You're not going to do that until you encounter him. And you're not going to encounter him unless someone like you and me says, come to this table with me. Like Rosario, who wrote this great book, and I'd recommend you reading it, someone invited her to a table. Well, man, first night didn't go real well. I'm sure the first hundred nights didn't go real well with Rosario, with this pastor and his wife. But they didn't give up. They developed relationship. They loved her unconditionally. They loved her with acceptance. And at the same time, they didn't compromise truth. And in the midst of that, Jesus did a mighty work and opened her own eyes and her own heart. We just can't sit around and complain, sit around and do editorials, sit around and tell each other what's wrong with our world and our neighbor and our government and, and everything that's going on globally and philosophically. We are the agents of change. You say, well, Jesus is the agent of change, but who does he use? He uses us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so to do this, we're going to have to create a table and create acts of hospitality and acts of grace and building bridges and rebuilding trust and listening and learning and walking in the shoes of other people without being threatened that you're going to compromise truth. We got to close the gap. And I want to just say today that our neighbor that we're called to reach includes the nations and the peoples of the world. So I want to talk to you today about the table and the nations. And so we're going to go to Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 9. And it says this On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food. For all peoples, everyone say all. all. Not just some, not selective for all peoples. A, look at this, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord, that means he's in charge of the world, amen? amen? Will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken, and in that day will say, and in that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted, 
in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him and he let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Note, God will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. You know, in the Bible, rich food was associated with feasting and was pointing to the rich blessing of God's work for us on the cross. We see here in, uh, we see here in this uh, the scripture we just read in our text that God would prepare a feast of rich food. How many people would testify that God has done a rich work in your life? The second thing is this feast would happen because God would destroy the shroud of death. It says he will destroy the shroud and swallow up death forever. You know what did Jesus do? He tasted death for every man. The one thing we don't have to be tormented about is we don't have to be tormented. We don't have to be tormented about anything, but we definitely should not be tormented by death because he tasted death for us. This feast also, we read, would be symbolic of God wiping away all disgrace. He'll wipe away tears from all faces. And this feast, and this feast, would, also, this feast would also give the nations of the earth, the opportunity to worship and celebrate in God's visitation, in God's salvation. We trusted in him and he saved us. So many, many feasts in the Bible were associated with, with weddings and coronations. And uh, even the Bible alludes to this practice of these banquets and these feasts and, and, and the cultural practice of, of it and describing the, the eternal climax of our relationship with, with Jesus when we partake in eternity on what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're not familiar with that verse, it's in, it's in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And notice, and his bride has made herself ready. There is a, there's a wedding. And there's a bride. We're the bride. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. What was that fine linen? That stands for the righteous, not just the righteous position of the saints, but the righteous acts of God's holy people. Come on, if Jesus says we're righteous because we put faith in Christ, then he starts working in us to become what he says we are. Amen? Righteous acts. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited, here it is, to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now, many of you know that our daughter Leslie, she, she uh, got married here in May. And yes, it was her second marriage. Her first husband passed away, and she was a widow and married a wonderful guy, Solomon Berg, and he's just a fine man, and, and uh, the, he attends uh, Bridgetown in Portland, and she felt that this is where we need to go to church, and uh, following her husband and that leadership, and, and, it went, and, and they're doing great. But uh, how did it go? What was it like, the wedding? Well, the wedding was kind of a small affair, just the wedding itself. But I can just tell you what we did. We ate, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate. I mean, we had, you know, this party for the people who couldn't come to the wedding. What did we do? We ate. Then we had a dinner party before the wedding. What did we do? We ate for four hours, by the way. 
What did we do the next day? We had a wedding. What did we do that night? We ate and we ate and we ate and we ate. What did we do the next day? We had a barbecue on my back deck with anybody in the family wanted to come over. What did we do? We ate. Then they went off to Europe on their honeymoon. They wanted everyone to come over and join them after they did their little honeymoon thing. I don't need to explain what that's all about. And so everybody starts going to Italy. What did they do? They ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they ate. And then I finally found my family in France. I had to fly over to catch up with them, and I, couldn't, I can't speak French, and I was driving around Switzerland trying to get into France, trying to understand what the signs mean, the checkout points, the pay stations. And, and when I got there and everybody rendezvoused, what did we do? We ate, and we ate. And we ate, and we ate. I mean, we ate. We ate the most delicious croissants and pastries every morning going to this French village, and, and uh, it was good. I was talking to Bill Shiler this morning. Sue asked me how my gout's been doing lately, last night. And I said, honey, I, I don't have any problems anymore. I don't think I had a gout attack for two years. And, uh, and sure enough, 4 o'clock this morning, my left knee got struck with gout. Why? Because we ate, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate. But it's a part of the celebration, and, and God, and, and the Bible alludes to this language in describing our union with Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I, you can do a fact check on me, but there's over 1,200 verses in the Bible that refer to food. I mean, for those of you who are minimalists and you just want to eat little, you need to get a, a biblical awakening. So really, who's invited to this wedding supper of the Lamb then? Well, the Bible answers that question for us too. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, not a small multitude. It was a great multitude that no one could count. That's a lot of peeps. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they're wearing white robes. There they are, they're wearing those white robes again. They were holding palm branches in their hand. They cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Come on, this is every nation. This is every tribe. This is every people. This is every language. This feast, this supper, this table is to be tasted and experienced by all ethnic groups, language languages, races, and cultures of the world. My personal private conjecture on what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to look like, it's going to be cuisine from every culture in the world. Now, I've preached the gospel in 25 nations, and some of those nations 10 to 15 times. I've eaten a lot of strange food. There's probably going to be a lot of strange food at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But why food? Why does God, God kind of use this thing called food in, in, the, in the imagery and the metaphor of the table? I ask these questions all the time. Well, the first is this, is because sin came through eating. There was the first table, was the table of forbidden fruit. Man decided to act autonomously apart from God. You see, we have a lot of people. We had a great discussion in our community group uh, yesterday. And if you're not in a community group, let me encourage you. Let me, let me shame you a little bit, guilt you a little bit here. 
just because I'm a loving pastor. Okay, get into a community group. We have, we have a great one. If you don't have one, you can come to our house and, and we'll give you a chair someplace. But we talked about this whole thing. People can do all sorts of good things, all sorts of good things, but not have a relationship with God. It's like, a, and we, we we're reading a book called Encountering Jesus with Timothy Keller, and he gives an analogy of a, of a single mom who raises the son to, to be a good person, to love the poor, get an education, get a good job, be blessed, and use his blessing to bless others. And he becomes, he, he gets his education, he becomes quite as successful in his occupation, and he does give to the poor, and he does do good things, but he cuts off his relationship with his mother outside of sending her an annual card. So he does all these good things, but he doesn't appreciate where those things came from. They came from his mom. They came from her sacrifice. Came from her initiative. And that's what we do with God. We eat the the table of forbidden fruit and say, God, we're going to do it our way. We're going to be autonomous. We're going to use our wisdom. We're going to become the source. Actually, part of my seminar, I teach one of the core issues why we have anxiety is because in the fall, we decided to be the source. We decided to be the provider. We decided to be the boss. And of course, if that's the case, I got to overwork. I got I to gotta stress over everything because God's not in the picture. And that's part of why we have all the problems that we have. It's not the whole answer, but it can't be ignored. So sin came through eating, but you know what? Salvation will come through eating. The the bread that we break, the cup that we drink. Today we're gonna we're gonna partake of of communion and 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 we have this table and what we've neglected, we think, well, this is just something we remember once in a while in case we forget. No, 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 no. This is this is Yes, it has symbolism in it, but this is us continually coming to a table, remembering the provision of Jesus on the cross. And it's through what this represents is how we get saved. It's how we are provided for. It's how we are made rich, how we are comforted, how we are touched by God himself is through a table, through a table, because man moved away from God through a table. We're going to be saved through a table. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and he was talking metaphorically, I understand, you'll have no life in you. The third is eating together speaks of friendship and peace. You know, the covenants of the, of the Old Testament, especially in ancient times, I'm talking about covenants between people. When we just, we're going to make a vow and an oath to each other. One is in, is in uh, Genesis 31, verse 54. All of a sudden, Jacob's going to pull up all his wives and all his sons, and, and he's going to take all his, his, his livestock, and he skedaddles out of there and starts going back to Canaan. 
without saying goodbye to Laban. Laban finds out, he took his daughters with him and everything else, and, you know, and he, goes, he goes racing to catch up, plus his daughter stole his idols, and he didn't know his daughter stole his idols, but he wants his idols, idols back. And so he chases, he chases Jacob down, and they have a confrontation. Jacob finally gets some courage and starts talking to him, how you've mistreated me and I've been honorable. And so they make, an, they make a, a vow, they make an oath between each other, a, a covenant. And how do they celebrate it? With a meal. They offer an offering to God, and that food becomes their meal. And the reason why they ended covenants with a meal is because you really don't usually eat with your enemy. When I'm eating with you, I'm saying, there's no animosity, we are friends, there's friendship, there's peace, there's goodness between the two of us. So when we invite the nations and people who might be a lot different than us to our table, we're making a huge statement to them about our heart towards them. The fourth thing is that being invited to a table speaks of blessing and acceptance and, and honor. You know, so much, so much happens at the table, and I... Appreciate the efforts, and I think Tamar had a lot to do with this today on, on this table. And uh, the table. Man, you know, we have so many rituals that uh, speak so much of blessing and acceptance. You know, at the table, we really honor each other. Even through our etiquette, like, could you pass me the potatoes, or pass me the bread, or pass me the meat. We're actually serving one another. I would like to serve you and give that to you because you are honored in my, my eyes and in my heart. It's at the table that we have conversations. It's at the table we learn from each other. It's at the table that walls are broken down. It's at the table where we, 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 we grow and we, and we do toasts Sometimes we pray and bring God and his presence in the picture. It's here we celebrate family and friendship and loyalty and blessing. What a wonderful atmosphere to have a conversation about Jesus. What a great atmosphere to validate that person that they are valuable and made in the image of God. And there's a wonderful, wonderful plan that God has designed for them because they have value. What a wonderful place for people to taste and to see that the Lord is good. I could go on and on and on. There's a drama at the table. It's almost like an act, like a theater act. So many things can take place. There's compliments about the food. There's, there's giving and there's receiving I mean, I, I, it's been said that I think that I'm a pretty good cook, and it's true. <laughs> I like blessing people, and uh, kids got me a Traeger for, uh, for uh, Father's Day, and uh, I'm going to be using it for Fourth of July, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be wondering how they like what I made. Not because I want to get strokes of how, what, how good I am, I want to I bless them. I had a great time on Friday, day off, and I went to the grocery store for two hours, and I spent a whole lot of money that Sue doesn't know about. <laughs> Why? Because I want to I I provide a table 
to tell people how important they are to me. And I just, it's the funnest thing that I do that brings joy to my own heart. Being invited to a table speaks of so many things. So, in Psalm 23, you know, we always have Psalm 23. We think it's, you know, this guy with a woolly fleece on. It's all about a shepherd, and it is about a shepherd. It's King David, King David looking at a greater shepherd. The chief shepherd is his refuge. He's, he's running to the shepherd to be his refuge and his safety. But the metaphor of Psalm 23 also switches metaphors here. And uh, it has a great revelation of revealing God, I believe, for the nations. But, but what switches in the metaphor is the great shepherd that David is, is finding confidence in. He, this, this, this great shepherd becomes a house host. If you'll notice in Psalm 23, the metaphor changes from a shepherd to someone who's hosting somebody who's coming in. And so what does he what does he do, this great shepherd, for us? For what is true for me individually is true for the nations and the, and the peoples of the earth. Well, he's, you prepare a table before me in the, the presence of my enemies. And that is God invites the nations to come under his protection and provision as they make a covenant with him. Remember, we only eat if we've made covenant. The elders in Exodus 24, 11 of Israel, they, they, they heard the words of the law. They said, we will keep it. They sacrificed a peace offering at the bottom of the mountain. Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on all the people. And then Moses and a few leaders and plus 70 elders, they went up into the presence of God. Now, now, all the 70 and Abihu and Nabu and a few of these other guys, they couldn't go all the way in. They had to stop at a certain point. But they saw the Shekinah glory of God, and they were allowed to see it. And the Bible says they ate and they drank. In other words, they, 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 they sealed the covenant with a meal in the presence of God. So when God prepares a table before me, it is a covenant commitment of God to us. I mean, God commits himself to you. God commits himself to me. And God commits himself to the peoples of the earth. And then, of course, we know this. You anoint my head with oil. The idea of oil on my head is the idea of you're coming in. I'm honoring you as a guest. I want to make sure your feet are washed. I want to make sure that you are touched with oil to refresh you, renew you. And let you know how honored you are to be in, I mean, how honored we are to have you in our home. You know, Jesus said to the Pharisee in Luke 7, when the woman was wiping her tears on Jesus' feet with her hair and her snot and everything else, Jesus, you know, the Pharisee said, if he knew what kind of woman this was, he, he would, he would, if he was really a prophet, he would know this. And he said, listen, I came into your house, you gave me nothing to wash my feet with. This woman's washing me with her hair. You gave me no oil to favor me and honor me. She's favoring me with her kisses and her sorrow. It's a great honor for us to be invited to the table because God's saying, you are honored. You are favored by me. Got some nations that are pretty, pretty dark, pretty oppressive, Lack a lot of justice, 
lot of things going on that are very destructive, but Jesus is spreading a table before them and say, come, and I'll have a relationship with you. My cup overflows. You know, we, we look at the cup of overflowing as just kind of abundant life and blessing upon blessing. It's more than just what God promised. But the idea of the cup is, is the, is the, of, of overflowing really speaks also of inheritance. You look at Psalm 16, verse 5. David said this in Psalm 16, verse 5. He says, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. The, the message says about Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6, in, in the, the message version, my choice is you, God, first and only, and now I find I'm your choice. You set me up with a house and yard, and then you ma made me your heir. Come on, we're talking about God saying, you know what, come and I will favor you. You know, we used to have this thing called the Statue of Liberty in the United States of America. Now, some of you today, like me, your people came through Ellis Island and saw that statue. And that statue said, it didn't give me the, the best of the world. That statue said, give me the broken of the world. And so our root system, many of us came because the broken of the world came to America with hope, and they were welcomed. And that's what Jesus does at the table here. You're favored. I have an inheritance. I'm going to fill your cup. I'm going to give you more than just, you know, eternal life. I'm going to give you an inheritance. And then surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. God overtakes. God overtakes the nations. He overtakes the nations with goodness and love as they pursue him in relationship. And then, I love this. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm going to take Romans 9, 25 to 26 as Paul talks about the non-Jewish nations of the earth. And he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. How many of you remember when you were not part of the people of God? That was me. I was on the outside looking in. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. I remember being that. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the children of the living God. Well, guess who's coming to dinner? 1967 film, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. They had a daughter. They, they thought they were progressive and people and their thinking. And their daughter says, I'm coming to introduce you to my fiance and coming to dinner. And her fiance is, is a white woman, is Sidney Poitier, a black man. And the movie deals with all their prejudices and racism and everything else that's there. Well, who's coming to dinner at our table, we're thinking, okay, well, I get it. I got the coolest guy I know that uh, he, he works with me in the office. He's an engineer that came from India, and I really want him to come to the house. That, that's cool, but, but how about some of those other guys that may not be so cool that we're inviting to our table who are really, really different in ideology and everything else? Who's coming to dinner? 
You know, Jesus taught us a lot about his table. First thing he taught us is this table was a table of grace. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus' table was an inclusive. This table was this, and Jesus said to his hosts, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Come on, his table was inclusive. A good, a good party should have just someone that doesn't have any filters at the party. You know, they're just socially awkward. Boy, that's an ugly dress. Okay, they just don't have, they just have, don't have good filters. Someone who just may not have good hygiene. Someone who may not have a rich personality. Someone, someone who, you know, has just uh, had a bad reputation. Come on, we're going to have everybody come to our party. Your party should have people you don't like. Jesus' table served the poor. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages. They're always wanting to send the crowd away. We love counting numbers, but when we have to deal with the need of the numbers, we like to send them away. Take surrounding village and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. And he, Jesus, replied to his disciples, you give them something to eat. So they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all the crowd. About 5,000 men were there, plus women and, and children. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so and everyone sat down. And taking the five loaves, this is Jesus now, so who is the cook? Jesus is the cook. Who is the host? Jesus is the host. He takes the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them, and he gave them to disciples who distributed to the people. And I want you to notice, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. In other words, Jesus the table, and Jesus ate at the table, and the table was full of poor people. Jesus' table is very generous. Notice, they all, they all ate and were satisfied. He didn't give them some cheap ballpark hot dogs. Didn't just serve top ramen. Well, he, he, he gave them that which satisfied them. He just didn't give them a little portion. I've been invited to, why don't you and Sue come with us on this little trip and we go on this trip with these people. I come back, I've lost a ton of weight, okay. There was no provisions. Fifth is Jesus' table brought healing. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Most likely, they weren't sitting at the table. Could have been a servant or people watching from the outside in. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they, they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. In other words, there was healing 
at the table where Jesus was. I was asked a question here in February. I was at a church up in, up in uh, Orcas Island. And uh, the, the pastor's wife wanted me to share about healing because she invited her friend who was a Buddhist to this particular church and invited to lunch afterwards. I didn't know this. And she said, Bob, you've gone to a lot of nations. What are the greatest healings that you've seen? And you know, as I reflected upon it, the greatest healings that I have ever witnessed as a Christian, where I was involved in, had to do with this church, and it didn't have to do with Sunday morning. It had to do with community groups. It had to do with small groups of people praying for people. Astounding things. Tumors disappearing. People had surgery going in, who've already done the pre-op stuff, and going in, and everything was healed, and they didn't operate. And over and over and over and over and over and over again. Where, where did the healing took place? It took place at the table. At the table. Emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing at the table. So church, the nations are across the street. You're saying, Bob, is this a pitch for us to go on a short-term mission trip? Well, I've always encouraged you to do that. I think everybody here should have a passport. And uh, you need to go just because it will broaden you out. And they are so loved that you would go all the way around the world and spend your money to go see them. It's worth it. But here's, here's the fact, as I've kind of dug them in my own research of Clark County. We have about 495,000 people living in, in Clark County. And according, and I can always, someone can email and correct me. According to what I've read... 10% of our county are non-U.S. citizens. That doesn't mean they're illegal. They're just not American citizens, which means they come from another country, another culture, another religion, another worldview, other philosophies. Jesus wants this table to be filled with people from every nation, every tribe, every language. And so we need to open up our table, don't we? I'll leave that to you in the application between you and the Holy Spirit. But just don't invite somebody that shares your political views. Don't invite someone who shares with you your view of morality or even your narrative of life. Bring the stranger in. Don't bring someone in. It's just going to be an enjoyable evening. Bring some people in when it might be a challenge because maybe they're socially awkward or relationally awkward or financially awkward and deprived. Open up the table to the nations because Jesus has spread a table before them. I like the ushers, if you would, at this time, and worship team, you can come on up here. And I'd like, uh, I would like you to pass out the the elements of communion. Mara, I think you were going to serve the team up here. See, one of the things. If we're going to become effective in evangelism, 
is that we cannot marginalize the people we're trying to reach with the gospel. Well, what do you mean? I'm a, I'm a saint and you're a sinner. That's not gonna work. Well, you say, well, Bob, we are. The work of God and the work of the Spirit has, has made us holy, but we haven't completely arrived. Now, some people think they've completely arrived. And don't tell them any different, but they really haven't arrived yet. We are sanctified. We are being sanctified. And when Jesus comes, we'll be completely sanctified. So that means Bob McGregor is still a work in process. That means you're still a work in process. We're never going to... We're never going to win people by posturing ourselves above or superior. It's only when we say, would you come to my table and share with me because you're a fellow human being made in the image of God. Now, I recognize because of my faith in Christ, I've been set apart, and I have favor that maybe other people don't who are in the world that don't believe in Christ. I actually believe that, but I would never flaunt that. The truth of the matter is, I was saved and redeemed in an undeserved state. God's working in me, and I'm not worthy of even his work in me, and I am just like them. And I need to treat them with the same equality and dignity that I expect to be treated with. And when I bring them to my table, I said, you know what? It's not only me that really wants you to come to the table, but God has a table he wants you to come to. And if you're here today, maybe you've been coming, maybe you have came today, maybe you've been coming off and on, you're kind of like a person kind of testing out the waters of a swimming pool, you know, I don't like to jump in, I got to put my foot in and kind of wade in, I'm kind of checking it out, I'm kind of like a guy that just bomb dives into the pool, but yeah, I'm just kind of testing the waters, and you're here today at this table, if you've been these elements have been passed in front of you. If, you. if you're not going to receive Christ today, then I encourage you not to take this. But if you say, really, I want to come to God's table where there is forgiveness, where there is healing, where there's transformation, where there's all those blessings I talked about that God wants to bless the nations with, there is something here for you. And I'd like to pray for you, but we all just kind of bow our heads here right now. If you're here, you've never received Jesus as the Lord of your life. You say, Pastor, I would really like to jump in today, and when I partake of this, I want to partake of it with faith that I'm at the table, and I'm believing all that Jesus wants to give me in my life, and I want to follow him. Could you just raise your hand and just say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm just going to pause here for a second. I'm taking it. We're all people of faith today. So we're coming to his table. Jesus invited, because Jesus invited us. Took the bread after they ate. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It was broken for you. I did this for you. This has been provided for you. See, a host is blessed about the people that come to his table or her table. So today, Lord, we take the bread.
that speaks of your brokenness for us, what you suffered in our place, the judgment that you experienced so that we could be set free, where you became guilty so that we are no longer guilty, where you were punished so we can be forgiven. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, and at this table, we receive the richness of your salvation. Thank you, Lord. May we, Lord, reciprocate by opening up our tables, our hearts, our lives to the people around us to befriend the people of our city, whether they were born in the U.S. or born in some other nation, whether they're of our race or another race, whether they share our beliefs or don't share our beliefs, that we would love them and invite them to the table. They might experience you. Let's eat together. Same matter. He took the cup. He said, This is the this is the New Testament. It's ratified. I'm using my own words now. This cup is the my blood. My blood that makes a covenant with men. That I gave my life that I shed my blood and gave my life so that you can have life. Come, drink of my blood. Have life in you as you put faith in what I did for you on the cross. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. <laughs>